0: My name's Joanne Averson, and you are so welcome to series three of my podcast. Enjoy. Welcome, my very dear Crin, Crin Horn. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast with me for this episode. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here, Joanne. Well, one of the reasons I invited you is because the hot topic at the moment is the dissection programs, and you and I have done several together. Yeah. And one of the things I have loved and admired about working with you and your approach to the dissection programs has been that each time you've come to a new one, you've taken something away with you, learned something amazing, and you're a weaver, which, you know, I'm potty over because I've got one of your silk scarves and I love it. And you've managed to make a model of something be it the internal organs or the spine or the pelvis. And you've you've modeled them as what we would call a integrity organization, but you've done it out of what you've learned in the dissection. So I'm going to ask you lots of questions, but let's start with, what's the one thing you've taken away from the dissections you've done with me and John and Karen and Mark and I think Wilbur's, but has Wilbur been at any that you've done? Well, he's been there, but he's not. We haven't. Our
1: paths haven't actually crossed within the right.
0: And and Paul Thornley and so on and so on. I could name everybody that's yeah, been yeah. there, and I know you know the whole team. So what? What? What's your biggest takeaway? Do you think from all of the dissection experiences?
1: That my lived experience of my own body has completely changed. Wow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, think, I didn't think you were, i didn't know what you were going to say but it was i didn't expect that for a minute I was so like, what do you mean dude. that's like boom that's huge we could talk about okay. that for a week so you're a yoga nidra teacher you're a yoga teacher and you, yeah. you specialize yeah. in nidra i know you're very gifted and loved and admired and i know you worked with people with nidra all through i'm not ignoring your question for a minute all through lockdown and what I'm wondering, as, I, as I'm talking to you, did, was your lived experience in your own body. Does it change how you teach?
1: Yes, I, I think it has to. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's like um, if you've got a new pair of glasses. I mean, I wear glasses. You wear yeah. glasses. That that initially there are there are certain things that you do like going down stairs that you have to kind of readjust because you're seeing things in a completely different way yeah um until it becomes natural for you to go down those stairs that you don't have to think about it anymore but there is a period of adjustment and then you can't remember what it was like with your previous pair of glasses so yes. I kind of don't know quite how I've changed because um partly because of the pandemic, yeah. because I'm not in the world that was before was before the pandemic. Yeah. And so I can't remember what I was like, but it has to have influenced everything.
0: I mean, it just has. I know it has. <laughs> so w- when you say you it's changed your i'm i love this it's changed your lived experience of being in your body w- what what would that I know we could probably come up with about a thousand things, but what would be the essence of that do you remember the first time you went into the dissection laboratory yes oh absolutely
1: hmm. um and john John Sharkey was was brilliant at Leading us in little by little until we got used to those lumps on the table covered in tarpaulin things, you know. Yes. And then he took that cover off, and there was another cover underneath, and we got used to that. So that, that it was kind of not a shock to see a body under there. That that was that was okay. Um. First cutting, first having a scalpel in my hand and seeing the tension
0: going. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you've just said it all, haven't you, really? When in doubt about tension compression and the laws of integrity, living tensegrity, whatever you call it, the first cut, I'll never forget the first time I ever. yeah. Yeah. Great, big,
1: huge. Great, big, huge, and um, can I bring in a a model because that this kind of explains why I'm talking about how it influenced my body from the very first
0: one. Was I have the, to describe the model because most of this will be one day it will be visual, but it will also be audio. So I, I yeah, okay. So about.
1: what what
0: happened was we had a, um, a cadaver of
1: a woman. Elderly, and Joanne asked that there were basically there were two of us working on it: Paul, Paul Thornley and me. And she said she was really like to see the diaphragm, so could we be very careful about the diaphragm? And I didn't know enough about anatomy, and I chose the wrong bit to put my scalpel in and and the diaphragm came away on one side. On the other side, it didn't, but on my side, it came away from the ribs. Um, but just before that, to clear space to get to the diaphragm, we'd had to get rid of a lot of internal organs to Get them out of the way. That was the choice that was made. We had to sacrifice something. Yes, we had to sacrifice something. And you said to Paul and me, oh, you, you you can really hack away at this bit and get rid of the, you have
0: the to sacrifice something. Internal, only got a certain amount of time. <laughs> internal organs, yep. right? Yep. The, the the
1: the small intestine, basically. Let's get rid of the intestine, but. It wasn't like in the books. <laughs> it wasn't like in the books. There wasn't this long tube that we cut off at the top and cut off the bottom and took away. I know. Oh, no. Oh, my it goodness. was firmly fastened to the spine. Yes. And there was this flower coming out of it. Yes. With the internal organs. And Prince's
0: holding a model that she made of the mesentery and um one day this will be visual. Yeah. And it it she made the most beautiful model of it. It really is like a like a flower that you take and cut at the base and
1: actually like one of those. The it looks like a coral or something.
0: Yes, or a sea cucumber or something, sea, isn't it? Yeah. Stunning? Yes. Um,
1: but it's I looked at, in lots of books when I got home. Um to how long is the small intestine, and what's the area that the mesentery joins the the, the 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 covering of the spine? And it's something like five yards to fifteen centimeters. So how do you make that? How how does that all work? And when I'd made the model, I was thinking that you know that that's Huge, and it's where people get backache when they get stomach upset. And of course, there's there's all this huge amount of intestines, five meters of intestines or however long it is, attached to a really tiny bit of spine. Of course, that's going to make you do different things with your body. You know, it's not like it's a separate entity, it's huge, it's joined to you. Irreparably. Um well you you grew it, you self-wove it, didn't
0: you? You self-wove it,
1: yeah. And and then there was oh the whole the whole pelvis thing. I had a fixation. When I came to the first dissection course, all I wanted to know was where the uterus was. It's all I wanted to know, because I'd just been diagnosed with prolapsed uterus, and I couldn't figure out from the books. Where my uterus was held on, I, the books don't show you where. No,
0: they it's very placed. rarely
1: even show the broad ligament of the uterus. But, yeah, it's crazy. It's like it? it's suspended in space, and it has yes. no relevance to anything. So I thought that's what I wanted, and of course the cadaver we had 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 a hysterectomy. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I have well, to tell you, you did nothing wrong that day because if you remember, there was another bit to that story when you when you did that. Cut so that I was looking at the diaphragm and the diaphragm deflated Mm -hmm. I had because we were working with non-fixed dissection um, type of dissection so it wasn't all rigid and set it was all soft and a little bit more like an anesthetized body would be just floppy And I'll never forget as long as I live, because I had written my book by then about the fact that we're all one piece. And I'd by that time studied with, you know, Yelp van der Waal and Daryl Evans and professors both and blah, blah. And I remember I was standing there looking, and I think you must have thought I was looking horrified at you because the diaphragm had deflated. I think you thought it was your fault. It wasn't at all. It had to deflate because it's continuous with the intestines. Mm. it's continuous and I stood and I'll never forget because about two yards away from the table John Sharkey was standing with his hands in his lab coat pocket looking at me with one eyebrow raised highly amused and saying what is that look on your face and I said I wanted the diaphragm to stay like an open umbrella I wanted it to stay it's deflated John and he said well of course it has you've taken out everything it's attached to underneath and I said yes but I wanted the diaphragm to stay like a diaphragm. And he, he was laughing out loud. And he said to me, you've written a book that postulates we're all one piece. Which bit of one piece don't you get? <laughs> yes. And I was like, but I knew that intellectual. And I mean, Ukraine, you, you know, I teach this, that when we think we know something intellectually until we've actually absorbed it in our beingness and lived with it, we don't get it. Uh, there was me being that. Mm. And I was looking at him going, yes, but I didn't mean this kind of one piece. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean that when you cut one bit away, for whatever reason, the rest doesn't, it's all one. I mean, by this time, Cren, John and I had taught a course called One Heart, One Nerve, One Muscle, One Net. Mm. And we talked together for weeks. And so it wasn't like I was in any doubt that we have one, we're made of one piece. <laughs> but the yeah. other the other part that, and that's what actually happened that day, I'll never forget. And mm. the other thing of what you said that was just so important is I think sometimes people think that everything below the diaphragm is a little bit like Mrs. Karen Kirkness's description, a shopping bag full of, you know, wiggly tubes and Lumps and bumps and organs, and they're all kind of piled up under the diaphragm in the in the in the peritoneal sac, the you know the the bag of the abdomen, and certain bits like the kidneys are retroperitoneal, so they sit behind. And it's of course it's not like that. It's an entire woven ligamentous architecture in there, and as you say, attached. All the way down the front of the spine. So when we talk about backache and you go to an orthopedic surgeon about your spine, you wouldn't go to a gastroenterologist. Mm.
1: Yeah, you but had backache.
0: You, <laughs> you should. Yeah. And it, exactly. And this is where you know, as we go into the depths of yoga, we're so utterly fascinated with the the way yoga postures are. I don't mean they're designed the way they're taught in a lot of places. Don't get me wrong. Mm but there are soft approaches and sweet approaches to yoga that are so powerful because they recognize the body as a whole of course it wasn't segregated in the east the way it was in the west um but so so go on for me what was the next biggest thing for you do you think that so so this has already changed you right you've discovered yes. that all the bits that were apparently floating around in the books looking like cartoons are not like are not, not um before the dissection
1: course, I had actually acquired um, a knee, a hip, and a shoulder from a doctor, Just you know, just um, models of. And I'd taken apart the hip, and I'd spent hours with anatomy books trying to cut out the ligaments that join the top of the femur to the hip. Yeah so so that you could see the, the ball and socket moving, you know. I'm, and I tried to get these ligaments to look right, like they were in the drawings. Hmm. <laughs> okay. And then I found what they're really like. Um, but so I still had section. that mindset. Yeah. yeah. And this same cadaver, I mean, she taught me so much. Um, I ended up working on her for on my own for a while. And what I'd done was to go to the psoas oh. and trace the psoas. I was clearing everything off, and in the process, I exposed some nerves which I managed to segregate, and they were just so exquisite. I'll never forget, just just, just beautiful. But I traced the psoas and it joined the Iliacus and, the, and they came down beautifully to the lesser trochanter, just like they were meant to. And then the Iliacus joined on to the trochanter and the psoas didn't. Yeah. hurried on down. Yes.
0: <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Listen, one of my bugbears, the psoas is not a hip flexor. Just saying. Another story, but go. I loved yeah. it. print. you you were doing you were you were doing my dream. If you remember, John said to me, What do you want to see? And I said, The Psoas. That's why I asked everyone to be so careful. I yeah. wanted to see the continuum of the diaphragm and the psoas. Yeah. Because I asked, Why don't we call it the diaphragm psoas? Because it's much more a walking muscle. The yeah. diaphragm and the psoas form for me a continuous walking muscle. It's a walk, breathe muscle or a breathe, walk muscle continuum complex. But in all the books, it's called the Iliosoas complex. In Grey's Anatomy, it doesn't even have its own place, the psoas. Yeah.
1: Dri-
0: drives me nuts. Anyway, that's not anyway, my... Yeah. So, I, anyway, yeah. So, anyway, I
1: called John over and I said, look, have I done something wrong? What's what's this like? And he said, well, it's a human. It's not, it's not like in the books. And... Oh, it freed oh, me up. Suddenly, God bless suddenly. him; he has a way. <laughs> the magic <laughs> could, of John Saki. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could. Um, in 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 other talks that he gave, he talked about it being an approximation or an illustration, or a everything about it is you make a choice. What are you going to? What are you trying to demonstrate? and suddenly i got it what i could do with my model making was to demonstrate something it yes. didn't matter whether it wasn't like in the books as long as it had its own integrity exactly and and
0: so that was that was brilliant that was just brilliant and you made a model of a pelvis, didn't you? Because you brought it back to the next dissection, and we were all raving about well, it.
1: That that was actually the that was the second dissection was the the genesis of the pelvis because I did see a uterus, having not found it for days until I was almost into well I was in tears actually, and then I discovered it was hiding underneath the bladder. Um. And it wasn't the size I was expecting. And um, But again, John showed me, I think because you prompted him, showed me the ovaries and the fallopian tubes. And um, I'm going to show the model. It's a bit screwed up, but still. So we've got the broad ligament, which is kind of like in the book, sort of. It turns into the round ligament. Why is it called the round ligament? We're really weird that, but actually it goes all the way round. It's it's lost its track a bit, but it goes all the way round over the uh, pubic symphysis and all the way round until it comes to the vagina
0: again. and over and back yes it goes suddenly it makes perfect sense why you have backache and groin pain and groin strain after having a baby and why postpartum it doesn't it it just makes all this crin is showing a model that I I can't even begin to describe but she basically made a whole uterus with all its subtle ligaments and its wings its broad ligament is more than more when you say broad ligament you think of a a ligament like a cruciate ligament don't you but when you see it it's actually like a wing it's like the wing. the yeah, fallopian yeah. tubes are like arms and if you were wearing wings or a draped cloth from the wrist to it's, the hip, uh, it's like a mantis one of those, like those mantis, exactly. yeah, yeah. absolutely beautiful and, and the fallopian tubes and the ovaries are, are embedded in that in it part of it you very rarely see that in the books so you, you can okay. find it if you look for it but it's yeah Normally it's just, it's like the intestines drawn as just a tube. There's none of the attaching ligamentous weave around them. And like, and the uterus is drawn as a, as a little sort of almost a, not a Valentine heart shape, but that kind of triangular pocket with two strings and a ball on each end. And it's not like that. It's It's not not like that at all. And, And also, you know, which books show that the uterus has
1: a ligament that goes up to the underside of the sacrum, which yeah. makes no sense if you hold your, you, you tuck your tail under, makes okay. no sense at all because then the sacrum is at an angle and that ligament would tear off, which is probably what it does. But you actually want the that that roof of the pelvis exactly there, and
0: and then everything makes sense. Well, this, I had this conversation with Claire Sparrow when you know we don't have a pelvic floor, yeah, and the, the sacrum is really the roof of the pelvis, and people are like, "What are you talking about?" And I see physiotherapists online showing the pelvis skeleton that you've got there, the model of the pelvis but they put it with the, with the pelvic floor as if that's the base you don't sit on yeah. your pelvic floor you sit forward of your pelvic floor it goes up slightly behind you the sacrum's the roof if we're sitting on our sacrum we're in deep trouble yeah if
1: if you i bought i got this from a shop that came it came on a base and i took it off its base and i put it down exactly at the angle that I'm going to show it for, for when this comes on screen. I'll see if I can show you. There you put it down at the angle it was it was cut it model. came in. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if you let gravity take its toll, it, it rolls straight. Are you surprised yeah. you get
0: back eight? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Quinn is showing yeah. how this model, when it's on a stick, is is modelled as yeah. if the pubic bone is at the front instead of part of the base which when you make it part of the base it stands up by itself and it stands up by itself, by itself. and the it the sacrum wrong. sits as as the roof and then the the or, the ligamentous organization of the uterus makes absolutely perfect sense it's a suspended network in the pelvis and it's affected by and it affects everything
1: and, and also- doesn't that
0: explain all things like period pains and difficulties before during and after pregnancy and the miracle of birth is just pfft blows your way, doesn't it but also you
1: know this this lovely room here of the of of where the femur goes in yes, is the if you haven't got it the angle right then yeah. your leg can just come out and you yeah. need a replacement if you've got the angle right it it sits it sits on top of your tr- of, of your femur so that that's beautiful and if you've got your angle wrong then where the sacrum joins the ilium, it's just—it's just awful. It could shear off at any moment. But if you've got the angle right, then you can sashay around because your hips can move on the sacrum beautifully. It, it just—it's
0: just, just amazing. Shaking booty becomes a whole other word, doesn't it? A whole other yeah. concept.
1: Yeah, you really we could need do a whole
0: anatomy lesson on it my goodness me so that was I remember I remember this now I'm remembering that was your second so when we met in London last year that was your yeah. third, third. dissection. yes and this time you promised a spine you were going to create <laughs> a spine and yeah. ha- have we yet to continue it Krin? are we are we still yeah. on for that no we're,
1: we're still on for that that's the I've got the spine here it's it's I haven't found the right right thing to join it with. I'm I'm using fishing wire and I've approximated all the all the different muscles of the spine. Well, the um, weaves. The weavers. The
0: woven, yeah. woven weavers. So uh, yeah. Basically, when
1: you've got all of those in place. At the right uh, with the adjusted tension the spine actually sits exactly how it m- might do in a human body including the sacrum at a beautiful angle nice and nice yeah and there's uh, no pole up it to hold it all together beautiful curve in the lumbar just coming naturally out and
0: it's flexible it's, oh, it's just it's beautiful it's just Honestly, it's just the most stunning model, and I I'm, I'm busting to get this on YouTube so people can see what I'm seeing because it looks more like a fish than a. Yeah. Because the human spine in a laboratory when it's modelled is always a, got to pole up it. Yeah. Which is,
1: it's hideous. It's I can't
0: bear to look at them now. No, I'm sure. The other day. It I, sorry. sorry. No, what the do?
1: other day I was given an instruction. By someone in a class, to put my thumbs at the base of my spine, which is either side of the top of the sacrum. I mean, can you believe it? To do what? No, just to. It was to. It was just to get get your arms in the right place. But I mean, really. Do you see no but, but the, the, the the spine comes down
0: to the to so the bone bone. Bone. put a coccyx on the other end <laughs> it's all one piece I know so we can't put the world right yet we're on no. a way we're we're pioneering the idea that that it's not how it seems yeah I'm quite excited about my new book Myofascial Magic in Action because within that I'm trying to debunk the myth that there's anything biomechanical about the human body. You can't just put bio in front of something and then say it's life, living. We're not, we're not cars. We don't have engines. We don't have levers. We don't have pistons. We don't have pumps. We don't have, We. you know, let's not go there. But what's so beautiful about what you've done is that you've you've lifted it out of the mechanical presentation of the models in the lab, but not the lab, not the dissection cadaveric specimens. I'm talking about when we learn muscles and origins and insertions. You've revealed that they aren't as they seem. In fact, there aren't any origins and insertions. They really aren't. It's just one continuous piece with some sort of sticky bits where it's stuck down a bit stronger because it. It's, uh, and it's sort of pinched into place, but it's continuous with the next bit. And as you know, from the dissection crin, there's not one place anywhere on a muscle that isn't connected. You know This idea, like you said, with the intestines, that it's not a tube with a bit at the top that you cut and a bit at the bottom that you cut, and then you pull the tube out. You know, you can be forgiven when you look at the anatomy books for thinking that if you wanted to dissect the biceps, for example, you would just unhook the origin, you'd, you'd cut the origin and cut the insertion and you'd lay the biceps on the toe. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> as well, you know. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> truly, you can be forgiven for believing that. And yes. I don't think we realize perhaps how influenced we are by these established scholastic mythologies, because that's what some of them are.
1: Mm.
0: They really are. Their mythologies, you know, the idea that the iliopsoas complex is a muscle is absolutely ridiculous. It's demonstrably ridiculous. Mm. And yet it exists because it's traditional and y- y- you're not supposed to question it. Yeah. I'm also
1: amazed at how many people taking our, the cadavers that we've seen that I've seen? How many people have lived and experienced life with major differences, major major mm. adaptations that their bodies gone through? Yes, um, that that are nothing like. In books at all, um, that the the that first female, the the patella was on the side of her leg, and it had gone there through steps. You could, oh, you it could had made that. steps. It had. I mean, I I have no idea how she. Walked, but she obviously did because because her her calf muscles were were in really good condition, you know, like they'd been used. Yes, <laughs> and she had something like a tooth on the inside of 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 one of her hips. And I think it was actually she had three little things. Um, and and this last one in in London. And the, the feet were in such an extraordinary, it was almost like the arches had fallen in on themselves. So the navicular was kind of down on the ground and all the other bones were on top of it. Mm. I mean, it was just extraordinary. And these people were had been living their lives like that.
0: Well, this I, this is interesting because I, for me, this has changed my view of humans being mm. in that I find myself able to accept differences with such grace and ease because I have faith in everybody I see to manage. Mm. I find myself letting go of the idea that we're supposed to be a way and saying to somebody, well, what's your way? Yeah, yeah, and I remember once I had a client who had been told that he had a deformity, and it was considered that that deformity meant that he couldn't really do something like, for example, play golf or a racket game. Mm-hmm. And when I did the body reading part of my, uh, you know, practice,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was very clear that he had a pick pectoralis major muscle missing wow so he had one on one side on the left but he didn't have one on the right and it clearly had never been there it just hadn't grown so he had pec minor underneath pec major on the left you could palpate it but just pec minor on the right no pectoralis major and if you go the route of the anatomy books and say oh well the job of one of the jobs of pectoralis major is to adduct the arm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Therefore, if you don't have it, you can't adduct the arm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> well, that's not accurate. Yeah. And he said to me, well, how would I play golf? And I said, I've got no idea, but why don't you go to the golf course and have a go and come back and we'll work out how your body did it. And he said, well, presumably it can't. And I said, well, I beg to differ. I suspect it can. Mm -hmm. And we worked together for some time and he was very diligent and excited and he became a golf coach (laughs) because he had to learn the postural set to manage the fact that his that missing major meant that it wasn't appropriately tensioned. So he tended to get quite a bit of pain at the joint where the clavicle the collarbone sits on the top of the breastbone yeah and so we we did lots of exercises and things that would slightly tighten his muscles at the back the rhomboids to open the breastbone to do the work of the missing pectoralis major in terms of structure and posture. So he learned a lot about posture and he started discovering that the way to place his pelvis was the way that you've shown that he had to sit up on it, not sit slumped on his tailbone. And he would phone me up from work and he'd lean into the phone and he'd say, everybody in this office is sitting on their tailbones. Do you think I should go around and tell them to to sit (laughs) up? Because, you know, they'd be much happier. They'd breathe better. You know, I breathe better. And he was absolutely amazed. And his sheer excitement. And so there was no confusion or anatomical knowledge to challenge. Yeah. So he was just excited at the difference that it made. And he wanted to share it. So he became a golf coach. I just, and it was such a wonderful story for me. And it came out of the dissection, the awe. The absolute Mm. awe that I experienced in the dissection room and the recognition that every single one of those people had lived a life Yes. in their particular way. And I found such a profound respect for it Mm -hmm. and a recognition that I don't know how you do your life. Yeah. But I'm not assuming that there's anything wrong with it.
1: And I'm full of admiration, particularly of the second female cadaver that I worked on, the one that I saw the womb of. She had been eaten up by cancer. Mm. Her insides were in a terrible state, yeah. except for her ovaries, which were pink and lovely. Hmm. Um, and her arteries were like those tube biscuits. Little, um, I think they're Italian. Uh, They're like a very thin tube, and they're very crisp, multi-layered, crisp. Her arteries were like that. They just
0: practically crumbled. Yes, because they've been been, um, so much plaque. And um, and I just
1: over the time I worked on her, I was thinking, how did you live? How did you live long enough to get into that state? How could you possibly live with all of that going on for as long as you did? I mean, just extraordinary—the life force that meant that she could go on while her body was deteriorating in such a dramatic way in so many ways. And yet she was still alive until she finally died. But I, I just extraordinary that, that the human body could do that. And I'm so much respect for her.
0: Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I mean, just... Does it change the way you see people, other people's bodies? You said it changed the way yeah. you
1: see. Yes, and yes. I, I think I'm a bit like with you. I'm I, I can accept differences with more grace, the perceived differences with more grace. That that actually they're just a human. Yeah,
0: we they're all just are human. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It it makes you more ordinary. Yeah. in a very beautiful and gracious way more ordinary that we're all doing our best with what we've got at the time yeah and uh you know how do you judge your best do you judge your best by the number of cars you own and the size of your house or do you judge your best by the fact that your body's kind of disintegrating underneath you but you still had the life force to smile
1: yeah
0: yeah <laughs> we're
1: grinning at each other here <laughs> yeah yeah i mean just
0: human bodies are just extraordinary
1: they so what are would you mirac- say
0: they are miraculous i'm sorry i didn't mean to speak over you they are miraculous human yeah. beings are miraculous yeah. i mean just from studying embryology which is almost a bit like being at the other end of the scale of, of mm. human dissection and i'm so lucky to have studied dissection with Two professors who were both embryologists. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know what heaven had in store with me for me because it wasn't my plan, I can promise you. But I found myself amazed at both, so amazed at the sheer miraculousness of our ability to weave ourselves together mm-hmm. and sustain ourselves and adapt ourselves mm-hmm. through our lives despite our vulnerabilities, which are multiple when you really see inside the body, right? You see how vulnerable we are Yeah. in a breath away. I mean, you know, when you consider that something the size of a mosquito can bring a grown man down. Yeah. It's like or, or a germ. It's just amazing that we're here. And you start to have, I think you start to have different values. But what I wanted to ask you was, what would you say to somebody who was wondering about dissection? Because there is a confronting aspect of it.
1: Yeah,
0: You're looking at your own mortality. You, we all know we're not getting out of here alive, but when you actually see a, a deceased cadaveric specimen that's donated to their body with due reverence to science and we treat it with due reverence, Yes. what would you say to somebody who... Who didn't know whether to do it or not, or wondered if they could or would or should, what would you say to them, Quinn? Um that the the would and
1: should are given that that both of those are you don't need to worry about that. Whether you could, I think is are you are you interested in finding out more? Than what you have been told in a book? Are you, are you interested? Because if you're interested, it's worth doing. Mm. Um, there was one person on one of the courses who didn't want to actually wield a scalpel, but went from table to table and learnt lots. Yes. So you don't have to actually wield the scalpel to learn a lot and the amount you learn in such short time is just incalculable um it's extraordinary um and it's what you learn yourself because you're experiencing it it's not like taking a book from a shelf and reading what you're meant to be told it's it's you're learning yourself what 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 can you see um there was there was one cadaver that was on its front his front um and the shoulder blade um the The musculature was still there, and I can remember sliding my hand along the ribs underneath the scapula and feeling this silky smooth Mm -hmm. feeling of how that works, how the scapula works over the ribs. It was just sensationally gorgeous. Um and you don't get that
0: from a book you don't even get it from a plastic model you don't get it I don't think people realize the importance of the fascia from the point of view of that glide Mm. and Wilbur one of Wilbur's pet hates in the gym is when you lie on your shoulder blades and then do shoulder presses when you actually need the movement and the gliding of the shoulder blade to facilitate the movement and you've pinned it to a table with your body weight
1: Yeah, crazy.
0: Pause one sec, sweetheart. I'm just on a call on Zoom. Can I call you back? I'll call you straight back. Bye, darling. We'll have to cut that bit. I didn't realise my phone was on. So sorry. Um, so talking about the, the the gliding facility that the fascia affords when it's appropriately organised and the body's healthy, for sure. But even in a cadaveric specimen, it's wonderful that you got to experience that glide. Yeah. And it's one of the things that that Wilbur talks about, that if people realized how essential that mo- movement is to negotiate the safe use of the arm in such a range of motion, such extraordinary range of motion, mm. then we would change so many of the practices that we do in the gym, for example, where you put your body weight on your shoulder blades, and then do bench presses where you actually need that shoulder blade to be able to glide. Yeah. And then we wonder why we get, you know, ruptured shoulder joints or humeral. I don't want to go into the anatomy of everything, but, you know, it's like so many injuries could be present prevented if people understood how yeah. like that are facilitated by the tissues. And, and the other end of that scale is
1: the scarring underneath the skin. Mm. Of surgery, oh my goodness! Don't get me started. <laughs> I mean, talk about an iceberg. It's uh, I, know. I know that that was a complete revelation, and that has really altered how I feel about my own body. That it suddenly explained all sorts of
0: sensations
1: I've had. Mm. Um, yeah, Disgusting. absolutely.
0: Just. Scarring is amazing, and this—I I don't think scarring's a bad thing. I think scarring's the body's intelligence saying, "Oh my God, I've been cut open, and I've got to seal this." Yeah, I think it just gets overzealous and it goes bonkers. And I, fortunately, I—you know—I've been trained how to treat it, and I have a frequency-specific microcurrent, which is something that works absolutely brilliantly on scars. And as a result. Where people in my family have had surgeries, I've been able to assist in the prevention of the overzealous scar tissue building, if we wanted to call it a syndrome. And and that's out of working with, um, oh, their names have just escaped me. Susan, Jeff Bove and Susan Chappelle did an amazing paper working with rats as a research experiment to show how the lightest touch massage, I mean, she worked literally with a fingertip, the lightest touch as if you were putting cream on an eyelid, that light, the difference you can make to scar tissue with that. And this is something that I think there's a lot of research got to be done Yeah, that you can manage, you can prevent to some extent. You can't prevent the scar and you mustn't stop it being mended by the body. But when you start to see what people do to manage it, to see the body as a self-healing system, Mm. I don't know about you, but I just, I just find it stunning. Yeah, (laughs)
1: stunning.
0: Well, Crin, I can't thank you enough for talking to me about this, and I hope it inspires people. There's so much to learn, and there are so many of us that need to be out there, not making new rules, just respecting including and evolving from and transcending the old ones and Mm. growing them into a more meaningful practice of teaching or as you said at the beginning knowing yourself yeah
1: just thank you well thank you